join us and worship in the God uh, in your own way, right where you are. You want to maybe sing, you may want to clap, you may want to even dance. Um, we welcome to worship and fellowship with us in the spirit and truth as we welcome the presence of the Lord in this place. And we welcome our great guests uh, from Minamar Mennonite Church here. And we'd like to do a little something like this now with an elbow bump like this. <laughs> Oh, 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 oh,
Of our Lord through the reading of Scripture. Our pastor, Menomore Mennonite Church, will be preaching from the text of the Gospel according to Matthew, the ninth chapter, verses 9 through 13. Those who have your Bible or your electronic Bible or your devices or wherever you may be, you're welcome to join in. I'll be lifting up out of the New Living Translation, the Gospel according to Matthew, ninth chapter looking at verses 9 through 13, with the subject matter of calling of Matthew, and he's going to talk about how we ought to gather together in unity. The word of God reads, Matthew 9, chapter, verses 9 through 13. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at his tax collector booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Matthew got up and followed him later. Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. But when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with such scum? When Jesus heard this, he said, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. Then he added, now go and learn the meaning of this scripture. I want you to show mercy not offer sacrifices. For I've come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. Praise God for his word. You are the reason 
church. It's good to gather, amen? Yes, it's good to worship in this place. Whether you are here in person or online with us this morning, um, do you sense the Holy Spirit with us? Amen? Amen? And uh, so at our church, we don't typically have all this fancy technology. feels like I'm like some sort of important, <laughs> you know, dignitary addressing folks. And so it is good to be here uh, this morning. Grace and peace be with each one of you. And may you be reminded this morning that through our being together that God is faithful. God is faithful. 
and and he is worthy of our praise this morning. Amen. All right. Now, before I jump into the sermon, I do want to say just a quick word. Um, I could go on and on if I, you know, because there's so many words. I, I mean, I want to say a quick word about Pastor Sam Durham. Okay. Uh, about 10 days ago, I asked Pastor, Pastor, uh, what would you like me to preach on for this Sunday uh, when we gather for worship? Realizing that um, it's not just any old Sunday that we're visiting Menmore Mennonite Church to this church, but uh, we're visiting uh, on, on a day of significance for this weekend, we are, um, your, your church, Zion Baptist, is celebrating Pastor Dern in his 15 years of service, leading, shepherding this community of faith. And so, um, so yeah. So I asked him, what would you like me to preach on? And he said, well, um, and, and there's a verse that sort of um, is connected to his response. He says, it's almost like Philippians chapter 2, verse 3. It says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Basically saying his response is, don't make it about me. Uh, make it about Jesus. Make it about Jesus. And what the Lord, uh, and just share whatever the Lord puts on your heart for this day. So your uh, church, you have a pastor who knows what or who, um, who knows what or who is... Um, Sorry, I'm tripped up here. Uh, he, he knows it's about Jesus. He knows it's about Jesus. There's humility that he carries, Pastor Duren does. Um, and one of the many things that I appreciate about Pastor Duren is uh, his servant leadership to this community, uh, both inside the walls of this church and outside the walls of this church. As you know, uh, Pastor Duren is a shepherd and a leader, and he's so very well not only to this community, but the community around us. He is not just a pastor of Zion Baptist Church. He is a pastor and a shepherd in this city, in this city. His involvement in so many different organizations, doing so many great things in this city, as well uh, as his involvement in countless initiatives uh, across the city with other leaders seeking to bring justice and equality for all. Uh, Pastor Duren uh, leads shepherds not only this church, but it extends far beyond these walls. And so we just uh, say thank you. Pastor, and uh, we just appreciate this, you this morning in your 15 years of service. So thank you. Amen. All right. Well, at, uh, at Menmore Mennonite Church, this fall we're going through a, a series called Church Forward, and we are uh, taking a hard look at the question, why church? Why church? Because, you know, the pandemic has uh, sort of uh, hindered church involvement a, a bit, right? Or church involvement looks a little bit different. And so we um, have been looking at the series, and we're looking at just why church, but also when we do gather, what is it, uh, what is it that we do when we, when we gather? Why do we do these things? So we, we, we're gathered in song, we're gathered in prayer, and we're gathered in word. And today's uh, focus is, is gathered in unity, gathered in unity. And um, it is a gift uh, to worship together this morning. Uh, we live in some difficult in anxiety-producing times here in 2021, don't we? Amen. Uh, so much polarization, so much division, so much distrust, so much fighting, so much tension. We live in the divided states of America. All generations throughout history have dealt with their share of hardships and trials. You can think of this in terms of decades. There are different things that, uh, that Americans had to deal with in the 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s. Every decade has presented its own challenges. And we are in a challenge, a significant significant challenge these days, aren't we? 
each generation has had to navigate what is with the help and assistance of one another. But for those who follow Jesus, I, I think we have a new invitation to trust, to follow, to lean on Jesus, giving all that is happening in the world and all that life is thrown at us in this season. So this morning I want to take us on a bit of a journey. Uh, I want to invite us to consider a new way of understanding, a new way of experiencing, a new way of relating to Jesus and his church and the world that in which he created um, in this divided and polarized time. My main idea is quite simple. It's the importance of, of keeping Jesus at the center. Jesus at the center. So I could just say that and say, have a good lunch. Because <laughs> that's, really, that's really what we're looking at. Jesus, keeping Jesus at the center. When Jesus came incarnate, that is the word of God becoming flesh, he wasn't quite at that time the center yet. I believe that he became the center when he was baptized, when he went to the wilderness for 40 days in his time of testing. And when he came back, he began to call unto himself disciples. And I think it's at that time that he became center, for he was now calling people unto himself. All right? Um, it, it be, he becomes center, and I, um, I want to show you what I mean by this calling of, of, of Matthew. I, I, want, I want us to pay attention how he was called. I want us to pay attention to who he is calling, that is Matthew. And I want to call uh, attention to every person's reaction to the calling of this Matthew. So I'll read the text one more time here in Matthew chapter 9. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at a tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him, and Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, Why? Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Matthew is believed to be one of the last of the twelve disciples uh, called unto Jesus. I'd always thought that this sort of happened in a, in a one or two day span, that all the calling of the disciples happened like real, real close to each other. And if you read the scriptures, it, it, it's, it seems like it's more spread out than that. Now I want to pay, pay attention to who each of his followers are as well, and we'll notice that they are different. They are different. So what is it? Or who is it that made this unity amongst the disciples possible? Uh, have you seen these t-shirts out there? It says, Live United. Live United. Uh, you may have one if you volunteered in any um, uh, sort of event put on by the United Way. Uh, it's a great organization doing great things in the world. Uh, and they have this slogan, Live United. And I bring this up to name a reality that people can have unity without Jesus. They can have unity without Jesus. Um, as you know, United Way is not an overtly Jesus-y sort of organization. 
Uh, yet they speak of unity. Uh, but I bring this up because I want to just emphasize the fact that not all unity is the same. Not all unity is the same. Unity can happen when people come together over a common enemy. We see this on the football field on Friday nights. The common enemy of Metamore High School is Washington Panthers, right? We see that they're united in this quest to beat them on the football field because they have a common enemy in Washington. Or we can look at Central and Richwoods. They come together uh, in, in, in unison or, or unity because they have a common enemy. This works on a local scale, on a football scale, but it also works on a national scale, doesn't it? Uh, this kind of unity is often built on conformity. It's unity built on conformity. It is, um, it's a coming together often of people who look the same, dress the same, have the same uniform on. Um, it's a coming together of people who vote the same, have the same economic status, so on and so forth, have the same amount of power and authority in the world. Um, those who have a common enemy, common cause. It's unity through conformity. They, we are united on an issue because we are all Republicans. We are united on an issue because we are all Democrats. We are united on an issue because of an economic status or an ethnicity. This, brothers and sisters, is a worldly form of unity. Jesus, a Jesus-centered unity, however, is much, much different. And I would say, miraculous. For, Jesus, for a Jesus-centered unity is a unity in diversity, not conformity. Any of the Mennonite brothers and sisters here today know who this gentleman is? Maybe Zion Baptist folks might know who this is too. But this is Paul Gordon Hebert. Um, I lived from 1932 to 2007. And who is this Paul Hebert? He is a Mennonite missiologist, anthropologist, as well as he was a missionary kid in India with his parents um, early in his life. He grew up watching his parents faithfully serve Jesus in India in the 30s and 40s, faithfully serving the people of India, introducing them to Jesus, preaching the gospel. Well, over the years, Paul began to notice something about their ministry in India. He began to notice that um, something about the Hindu people that they were ministering to. As they shared the story and the reality of Jesus, the gospel of Jesus, in this Hindu context, they were finding countless people absolutely interested, fascinated, and compelled by this Jesus. Yet, at the same time, unwilling to join fellowship with any sort of Christian community or group. Again, the Hindu people were very open to the person of Jesus. But not interested in joining any sort of Christian church or community. This piqued Mr. Hebert's interest, and he began to reflect on why the people of India loved Jesus, but not join a Christian community. He went on to attain an advanced degree in anthropology, which is the study of humanity through the application of biology, cultural studies, archaeology, linguistics, and other social sciences. Uh, in his study of different cultures, and how uh, people groups understand their own identity, he began to realize that the missionary movement that his parents were a part of 
was asking something of the Indian people, of the Hindu folks, something that was more than what Jesus was asking of them. In his, re- his reflection, he develops a model to help us make sense of this reality. He comes up with a, th- a mathematical uh, reality called a bounded set. These are, it's, it's used in mathematics, and so what I want to do is just study this math equation with you and really dive in about bounded set numbers. No. You can go to the next slide there. Go next. There you go. I'll just mute that. But it is a mathematical way of understanding. Uh, And I want to use this as it relates to the church. So in short, a bounded set of numbers is a group of numbers that has a clear trait of commonality that either makes them a part of that set or not part of that set. An odd number cannot be an even number, and an even number cannot be an odd number. Uh, 3, 6, 9, 12 is a bounded set because the commonality or conformity that they have is they're all divisible by 3. The number 7, for instance, is not divisible by 3 and is not in that bounded set. And a 7 doesn't belong. It doesn't identify with the numbers divided by 3. In fact, The seven thinks those numbers are about a a bit weird and crazy anyway. I don't want to be a part of that balance set. Okay? All right. Now think of this idea in relation to people and the church. Okay? Uh, Church operates most often in a bounded set understanding. What unifies people? Well, could it be that they, a person is born into the church? Maybe they look a certain way. They believe a certain way. Uh, They believe in the same things, and everyone has a clear, defined characteristics that makes someone either in or out of that bounded set, in or outside of that circle. Back to India and Mr. Hebert. These Christians from North America, well, they looked a certain way. They worshipped a certain way. They sang songs with North American origins. And they had practices and a way of being that was foreign to this Hindu culture. There was a clear sense of who was inside and who was outside in that community. And Paul Hebert acknowledged that throughout church history, whether done intentionally or inadvertently, has made these lines thicker and thicker and thicker and thicker. So these Indian people, this Hindu culture, they were open to Jesus. However, not joining the churches because of the thick lines in place that most often had nothing to do with Jesus. So what is true in India, what was true in India is true here as well. Not necessarily Zion Baptist, but here in America. Churches operate with a bounded set way of being. Everyone looks the same. Everyone understands uh, the same standards of conformity. And things are added that may have nothing to do with Jesus. For example, do you believe in Jesus and also vote Republican? Do you believe in Jesus and also read from the King James Version of the Bible? Do you believe in Jesus and, and also don't dance and don't wear makeup? Do you believe in Jesus and also believe that women cannot lead men in a church? You get the idea. Is everyone tracking? Thicker and thicker and thicker. 
This is a form of unity form of unity that has to do with conformity. That is a bounded set way of thinking. And we have us, I think this morning, we have before us an invitation toward a different way. And it's a centered set way of thinking and being in the world. A centered set. Because a bounded set is about conformity. In or out. A centered set is about an orientation. It's about a direction that people are looking or that people are heading. It's about an orientation or direction. Here, what defines identity is the direction that someone is heading, the direction that someone is going. It's either towards or away from the center. Who is? Jesus. Thank you. So back to our scripture text, the calling of Matthew. Well, who is Matthew? Matthew is a tax collector. A tax collector working for who? Rome. The Roman government. The enemy of the Jewish people. Matthew is or was Jewish himself, raised in a Jewish culture. And this culture was a bounded set community. Yet Matthew finds himself outside the bounds of his own Jewish community by being a tax collector for the enemy. And along comes Jesus. Say it with me. And along comes Jesus. While Matthew is far outside the bounds of his original origins, his people, Matthew literally works for the enemy. Matthew is taking advantage of his former tribe. Yet Matthew is invited. And Matthew is compelled by Jesus. Jesus says, follow me, Matthew. And he does. He follows Jesus. Jesus did it with Matthew. And Jesus does, also does that with us. Jesus says, follow me. How will you respond? Jesus invites many different kinds of people, those who are thought to be in and those who are thought to be out. He invites them all. And people mysteriously, miraculously respond to this invitation because they see something in Jesus. They see something that they also long for. And the orientation of their hearts, their orientation of their minds, and the orientation of their lives begin to shift away from themselves and toward Jesus. It is not insignificant, brothers and sisters, that Matthew walks away from power. Matthew walks away from security. And Matthew walks away from status. A status that is given to him by the Roman authorities. And Matthew walks away, and what does he do? He moves toward Jesus. Now watch this. What is it that moves people from? What is it that moves people towards Jesus? According to Jesus Himself, from our text, everyone's need for mercy. That is me. That is you. That's the church down the street. That's the people sleeping in this morning. That's the, that's the Republican. That is the Democrat. That is the mask enthusiast. That is the anti-vaxer. That is the t- tax collector. And it is the one who's having tax collected from them. 
on hearing this, Jesus said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I've come to call, uh, not call the righteous, but the sinners. A bounded set way of understanding is about sacrifice. A centered set way of understanding is about mercy. Friends, Jesus is doing unity in a whole different way. Reorienting your, uh, reorienting, reorienting, I can't talk. There's a reorientation of our lives towards Jesus. Jesus says to you and Jesus says to others who are also on the journey, he says, come towards me. And even if we disagree, even if we're on opposite sides of an issue, even if we don't agree politically, socially, theologically, we can agree that unity in Jesus, that Jesus is greater than anything that we can disagree on. This is unity in diversity. Recently, both Sam and I uh, were in, uh, had initial invitations uh, to join a unity fellowship service that happened last Sunday, along with our churches. Um, and... Um, it's a number of predominantly black churches and a number of predominantly white churches coming together for worship service last Sunday evening. But prior to coming together, a document was circulated to the pastors um, of who, um, of the pastors that would be involved. The title of the document said, United in Christ, a worship service celebrating our shared joy in the gospel. But there, and then there's a list. There's a list of things that you need to agree to, all right, as pastors in order to have full participation. One, our speaker's decision, whoever shares during these services, will be consistent with our understanding of pastoral leadership in the church is through men biblically or, uh, 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 is through men biblically oriented uh, ordained for that purpose. In other matters of doctrinal unity and worship fellowship may, just, may be decided by the pastors um, involved in this endeavor. Friends, this is bounded set form of unity. I think speak for Pastor Sam and I, our hearts uh, ache because of this reality. Now let's take a closer look at the people, the people Jesus is calling on to himself. Matthew chapter 10, one chapter later. In verse 2 through 4 it says, These are the names of the twelve apostles. First, Simon, who was called Peter. Simon's my favorite. I get Simon. And his brother Andrew. Uh, James, son, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. Uh, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and, and Matthew, the tax collector. James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, and it says Simon, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Just a couple of things to notice here. Matthew is what, again? He's a tax collector. And it says the second Simon there, Simon the Zealot. It's important for us to know who the zealots were. The zealots had a leading role in the first first um, first Jewish and Roman war in 66 uh, A.D. The zealots began to object Roman rule, violently sought to eradicate it by by targeting Romans and Greeks, taking up arms, 
seeking to kill Romans. Simon is from that group. Hmm. And who does Matthew work for? Who does he represent? The gap between Matthew the tax collector and Simon the zealot could not be greater. Worldviews, ideologies, radically different, yet Jesus picks these two and he says to both of them, follow me. The only thing they have in common at this point is then the direction or the orientation of their hearts. Their arrows of the hearts are pointed to the center. That is Jesus. Thus we need to examine what this means for us, Metamor, Mennonites, and Zion Baptists, as Christ followers. With a centered set ethic or a centered set understanding, a couple of things will be true of a church with this, with this approach. A couple of things that will be true is it's going to be messy. It's going to be messy. Um, it'll be uncomfortable. Yet the fruits will be one of transformation. When we let go of the circle, the bounded set, traditions, culture, our preferences, our rules, our do's and don'ts, when we take those from center, when we place Jesus at the center, transformation is inevitable. It will happen by his spirit. Matthew leaves the tax collector booth. Simon left his sword. We see transformation. We notice transformation for both. Another way to illustrate this is um, for uh, this both, uh, the individual and the church. Uh, I don't know about you. I need to, I need to sit over here. Hold on. I almost forgot my, my hula hoop here. Another way to illustrate this is um, I have a temptation. Um, I have a temptation uh, to come to my own conclusions on any issue out there and created a bounded set around me. This is my bounded set. Uh, Avery, could you come here for a second? Avery's my daughter. And uh, I have come to conclusions, and, and then I tell my, my daughter about those conclusions, and, and Avery gets into the <laughs> We are now in this understanding. We are in agreement because we've conformed to the same ideas about a matter, whatever the matter is, all right? Okay? And then, um, I don't know, does anyone else want to maybe stage? You can fit in here. <laughs> and also we're the same family. Pandemic out there, <laughs> right? And then, uh, and then we teach, we train up stage to hold these same, uh, these same uh, thoughts and uh, understandings about anything politically, socially, theologically, so on and so forth. Okay, thank you guys. You guys. And so here's the temptation. Here's the temptation uh, that when then Avery Sage and I, okay. We then begin to judge ourselves a little bit more worthy. We begin to judge ourselves a little bit more important because we happen to be on the right side, on the inside of a matter. Right? 
we create this bounded set. We do this individually, but don't, don't we do this as churches as well? Being on the right side of the matter, the inside of the hula hoop, the bounded set. And there are those on the outside of the hula hoop, and we begin to judge them. And we begin to think that we're a little more right, a little higher, a little bit more worthy, a little bit more woke than your mother-in-law. Okay? Then that's not really to us. It's just a general statement. It's not. It's, it's a general statement. Okay. Um, and, and those uh, and those outside of the bounded set, well, we don't know about them. Jesus comes along. Jesus comes along, and he and he just he can just drop the drop it, drop the hula hoop, and he asks. What is the direction of your heart? Where is it pointing? Because we can have people near the center, near church and religion, morality, and yet the arrow of their heart can be directed towards a person of difference in the opposite direction of the center and completely be judgmental and self-righteous. This is my temptation. You can also be far away, like that of Matthew, outside this bounded set, not having everything figured out. It's messy out there, yet the direction of Matthew's heart is now, as he leaves the tax collector booth, pointed to Jesus. So I think we have an invitation to step out of the hula hoop. It worked for Simon. It worked for Matthew. My prayer is that it can work for us. So the invitation this morning, a question for us to hold, is where is the heart, the arrow of your heart pointing these days? Is it towards the center? Or is it in judgment of others? Now, now, why is this important? What is your and what is your church's witness in the world? That's why it's important. Witness. When you have a practicing Jesus-centered church, it's a sign to everyone else that Jesus is Lord, not your politics. Jesus is Lord. In a world where conformity is the path towards unity, Jesus-centered churches, Jesus-centered people, it opens up a possibility for those who disagree in a polarized world, who don't vote the same, who don't believe the same, can actually experience unity in their diversity. It is possible with a centered set approach. In church, when this happens, we are modeling for the rest of the community, we are modeling for the rest of the world what love, Sacrifice, forgiveness, acceptance, inclusion um, looks like. It's radically different. And we are showing the world that Jesus is Lord. Unity is possible in a way of conformity. Uh, Unity is possible in that way of conformity, but is it really unity? So 
just a challenge this morning then as I wrap up. How might we cultivate this in our lives? How might we cultivate this in our lives? A couple ideas. Who are the people in your community that are different than you? Who are the people who don't look like you? Who are the people who don't, um, who don't live where you live? Whatever, however way you might be different, or they might be different from you. What would it look like? Just as a practice. What would it look like to go out of your way? Uh, to pick up the phone, message them on Facebook directly, send them a letter, write them a note, meet them for lunch or coffee. And do what Jesus does, is that he builds bridges to those who are far and those who are near. As a sign of connection, connection and a, a witness of good neighboring. Any difference, political, economic, social, culturally, spiritually, I think our invitation is to build a bridge, to live as a church, and to live as individuals with Jesus at the center. And if we do this, I think the best days of the church are ahead of us. Amen. Thank Pastor Potter for this message challenging us. Uh, who is at the center? Right where there, just you can take a moment and meditate right now, ponder on that thought process right where you are. Who's at the center? If I survey my life, am I seeking after Christ and his righteousness? Am I or am I following an ideology, identity politics? personal preferences? Or am I seeking what is good, what is just, what is right, what is mercy? Am I looking for what is expressed as God shows loving my neighbor? My neighbor may not look like me, may not dress like me, may not talk like me, may not eat what I eat or live how I live, but do I love Will I be able to sit next to someone who I disagree with on many matters of ideas and opinions, but I can love them because I see them as God's creation? Is Jesus my center? Let us pray. Lord, we are grateful for how you arrest our hearts to know you in such an intimate way. Thank you, Lord, that you saw past our faults. You ministered to our needs. Lord, right now we're asking for mercy. To forgive us for times that we've been selfish. That we've been prejudiced. That we've been biased. And not serving and loving others who we did, we did not identify with. Lord, help us to be more like you. That we walk in humility and gentleness of the spirit, expressing love, grace, mercy, and forgiveness, faithfulness, just as you call us to do so. Lord, may the church, your children, 
be lights in this dark world, that we might bring forth transformation as we are ambassadors of this ministry of transformation. That we don't change, but you change us. So as you're changing us, help us to be examples to others how you can change them too. So that together, Lord, we can follow after you and grow in you and see unity as you call it to be. In Jesus Christ's name, Lord, we pray. Amen. 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 Stay right there, Brother Jack.